Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm... That's all. That's me. That's who I am. I am a trans person. I haven't quite figured out the various labels just yet, but that'll come. Uh, If you're wondering why I'm speaking in such a low tone, as established in the first episode, I'm recording this uh, at night while my roommates are asleep. This will not be the case forever. Uh, I'm going to start setting up like an actual recording time. It just so happened that both times that I've recorded this podcast so far were times when it was late and I just had the whim to start recording because I couldn't get the thoughts out of my head. So here we are in a space where I have to speak in a low voice uh, without as much enthusiasm as I usually put into my speaking voice, but whatever, man, here we are. So I'm going to be releasing these first two episodes, I guess at the same time, not that it really matters. Nobody's going to find this for a long time if they ever find it. But I'm releasing them both at the same time because the first one went longer than I was expecting. I spent a lot more time summing up my childhood, uh, which was not a topic I expected to get into, but no one could accuse me of not being verbose. Someone could accuse me of being verbose. That's what I said. It's weird. Double negatives, man. Language. Anyway, the first episode went longer than anticipated. And I wanted to spend more time setting up where I am mentally and like what what this podcast is and kind of actually go into what this podcast is going to feel like in the future because it's not all just going to be me telling stories about my life. I eventually want there to be like scripted segments because I also write poetry and various other stuff. But uh, I don't know if that's going to show up in these first two episodes, just because there's so much ground for me to cover, and there's so much that I want to riff on off the cuff. Riff on off the cuff. Oh, man. Language. So I'm taking an acting class this semester. Um, I've never, well, I I have taken acting classes before, but it it was in like high school. Uh, It's been a long time. And this class is specifically for non-acting majors, so everybody in there is like, I'm a, I'm a chem major, I'm a, uh, there's one person who is a journalist, I don't know. Anyway, so it's very friendly to non-actors, there's not a whole lot of pressure. That said, I still put a lot of pressure on myself, because that's what I am. I am a pressure cooker. Today was my day to perform a monologue of my choosing. And I've had it memorized for like three weeks. And I did well enough. Uh, But afterwards, so the way that this class has been going, we like set up a shot somewhere on campus and then they record us performing a monologue. And then we get back to the classroom and watch that monologue and they give notes and thoughts and stuff. And I hate seeing myself on camera which is very funny for someone who has spent a lot of time making videos where my face is mostly all you see. (laughs) Like, I'm currently working on a video uh, about the seventh season of Game of Thrones, which was the first video that I built, like, a teleprompter for, and it's, like, a 30-minute long video, and it's just me talking, and it's been forever to edit because I really don't like looking at my face. And it's not like, oh, I hate my face. It's more 
when I'm on camera, I am acutely aware of all of the little ticks and bits of body language of mine that aren't normal, whatever normal might be. For instance, just with this monologue, um, I mentioned in the first episode that I have a lot of problems with the fact that my hair is thinning. Well, it always looks so much worse on camera. So just watching that, I can see, you know, there's, it looks like there's almost no hair on the top of my head, even though it's all there. It's just thin. And I also have a weird jawline. I have a pretty bad underbite, which is something I'm always kind of trying to adjust to make it look like I don't have this huge jutting chin. I have a hunch because I've spent most of my life playing video games and not caring about my physical appearance. I'm also overweight in just generally a weird way where I have very thin arms because I've never done a day of work in my life, which that's not true, but I've done very little that involves like lifting weights or building muscle. So I weigh now like 240-ish pounds, um, and all of it, all of it's in my belly and my chest and I guess my thighs technically. So I just have like this weird, almost like Titan-esque proportion. Titan as in the, the, the Titans from Attack on Titan. And I will not be saying that word again. And all of that's to say like, when I'm, when I'm forced to look at myself in the mirror or on camera, I'm kind of presented with a very dysphoric emotion. I just feel very uncomfortable. And I think logically, like, people, probably everybody feels this way about their body, right? Like, everybody looks at themselves on camera and all they see is their imperfections and their flaws. And everybody's super critical of themselves. And when other people are looking at footage of me, they're probably not seeing the things that I'm seeing, right? But then I, I try to look at it objectively, and objectively, my appearance does deviate from the norm, that dubious thing that we always try to find, the, the average of the bell curve, that little middle point that doesn't exist but for like six people. It's pretty fucked up that we define our culture based on, like, the handful of beautiful people whose faces look best on all of our stuff, because they don't look like the rest of us, and we're never going to look like them. So I've been going through today really feeling down about myself, even though, like, my performance was good, but all I could see in that footage was the barriers to my eventual transition, and... You know, right now I'm feeling like I shouldn't even bother. I don't want to because all of my best efforts will still just yield a person who could never really look like a woman. And I still don't know if that's like the goal. I, don't, I, I will get into that, that very hairy question. But uh, it's just so frustrating how I, I sabotage myself. And I, I want to be better about this sort of thing of like, whenever I spend a lot of time working on a video that features myself just because I'm the only thing I can control, uh, I always end up feeling this way, like feeling really bad about myself and like, I look terrible, I look stupid, no amount of work is ever going to make me look good enough to where I don't look like 
the uncanny valley grew legs and started walking onto a film set but it it feels like muscle memory which is really tough i don't know how you deprogram instinct like that it's uh i don't know and maybe it's one of those things where once i start transitioning I will become more acquainted with my body uh, and and feel better about it. I don't know. I I don't know. But I'm also scared that if I were to start transitioning, I would only feel worse. And then that would be a route that just led to a dead end. Like, and then what? (laughs) So another fun thing that happened this week, which is tangentially related little backstory, uh, spring of 2016, I went through disability testing because I have long suspected that there's something fucked up in my brain. I've always had a trouble in school, a trouble. I've had many troubles in school. Uh, I've never really been very good at anything that I wasn't immediately very interested in. So I went through disability testing and it cost me $500, which is cheap for what it was. And all I got at the end of it was a major depressive disorder diagnosis, which is not a great thing to spend $500 and spend like three weeks doing tests only to be told that you have depression, which I knew. I've had depression my entire life. You're not going to shock me with that. Well, I've been seeing a a new therapist uh, at my school's health center, and I I don't have a great history with, with psychologists, not by any fault of any of the psychologists I've worked with so far, just that like anybody else, you know, I have my ups and downs when I'm, when I have my ups, I've, don't I feel like I don't need a psychologist like oh, I'll figure it out whatever and I also tend to be in a place where I don't want to do the work so this current psychologist that I have it's been going very well because in part I am finally ready to do the work of actually bettering myself and a lot of that has to do with realizing that I'm trans it's funny how that sort of unlocked a lot of undealt with issues there but my psychologist I told him that I'd gone through disability testing and he had somehow missed that report in my file. So between sessions, he pulled up that report and went through it, analyzed it, took it to his superiors and a bunch of other colleagues, got a a number of second opinions, and they are all in agreement that I definitely have ADHD, which on the one hand is a little frustrating that the test was misinterpreted, The first time, that's not a great feeling. But on the other hand, I'm not even mad because that's such a relief to me. I can't even begin to express how much of a relief it is because I have such a hard time with so many things that I feel like just come so naturally to everybody else. And up until this point, the only explanation that I could come up with is that I am lazy which is not something you can fix. I've tried everything. I I, I have a pretty 
regimented schedule. I, I regulate my time as best I can. I have bad internet browsing habits, but it really just comes down to like when I try to do things, I just, it, 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 ugh, I can't. I don't know. I don't have the energy. I don't have the spoons. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But uh, just just to be told that it is a behavioral or neurological disorder that is treatable is such good news. And so I have I have an appointment with the psychiatrist on campus uh, in three weeks, of course. But it's better than n- no appointment. And of course. That diagnosis, alongside the realization that I am trans, kind of go hand in hand as sort of shining a really bright light into the darkest corner of my mind in a time when I really needed that. It it kind of feels like I've pulled the curtain back and I see all the machinery that's been driving me insane the last 28 years. Okay, so it is now October 4th. I meant to say that at the beginning of the episode. It's very important to me that every episode is dated. It's been now a little over two months since I had the realization that I'm trans. And uh, I finally started talking to other trans people about it, trying to bring my questions to them. And it has not been as helpful as I would have hoped. And it might be because I haven't met the right trans person. So in these conversations I've asked about, you know, how long have you known? What was the trigger to get you to finally realize it? Uh, How has the transition been? Do you have any advice about makeup and clothes and HRT or LHR, all of these things? And then, you know, advice about like, how do you... So you go about exploring this, and the answer that I keep getting is, be calm, trust your gut. And I viscerally dislike that advice. Not because it's bad advice, it's good advice. It's the only rational advice in the face of a process that is infuriatingly subjective, but that's why I dislike it, because I'm someone who, I spent like three months researching camera science before I bought a camera, not just like reviews of which cameras that I was interested in. I spent time like researching the specific like sensor sizes and opinions about different types of sensors and different firmwares used in different cameras and like different lens compatibilities and crop factor and all of these different things and like image quality so much time to where it was all I could think about for a while. And then I ended up on the camera that I wanted in the first place anyway, which was the black magic pocket. And then that's just like, that's just a thing. That's an object that I own. I am now talking about myself as a person going forward, trying to make a choice that will shape the entire rest of my life in ways that I cannot predict in ways that will be inevitably emotionally challenging. And I'm being told to trust my gut. None of that's even taking into consideration the fact that I have depression. I have trained myself incessantly over the last 28 years to not trust my gut 
for the very specific reason that my gut kind of wants me dead. <laughs> I have depression. I don't, I don't trust myself. So I have to take it on faith that these feelings that I have are exactly what they say on the tin. And that when I feel this innate association with transgender as a concept, that that is correct. Like I have to trust that my interior gender compass is aligned to an existing true north. In these conversations, I keep hitting these moments of, of long, kind of awkward silences. And part of that is that I'm kind of terrible at casual conversation. <laughs> I know how to talk about things that I care about. I can talk about movies all day. I can talk about video games all day. Uh, if you ask me to bluff my way through a sports conversation, I will not. I'll, I'll just die. I'll stop existing right there. And I'm also not very good at talking to people that I'm not really close friends with. And all of the trans people that I've talked to are people that were either introduced to me by mutual friends or people who I know but am not super close with. And so there's just an added layer of awkwardness to that in general. But another part of it is that I keep trying to formulate this question that is obsessing me. But I can't find the right words for it. And, I, and I've said as much in both of these questions. Where it's like, I, I feel like there's something I want to ask you, but I can't find the words for it. And in every case so far, the response I've gotten has been kind of like a shrug of the shoulders. And then, oh, well, you know, trust or get, that sort of thing. And I, I, I don't hold it against anybody that I've talked to so far. I obsess over really weird things. That's why I'm making this podcast is this this question, whatever it is, it's obsessing me, this sort of like almost philosophical quandary that is really the heart of my hesitancy at going full speed ahead on transition. It's weird because it's not about the process. It's it's not about anything specifically related to transition in general, like I pretty much got all of that after a few weeks of doing research. Like I'm, I'm totally cool with cross-dressing, doing that in public is going to take a lot of time and a lot of weight loss, which is something I'm working on. I'm totally cool with HRT. Like I said in the previous episode, if I could start that shit tomorrow, I'd fucking do it. I'm, I'm cool with basically every aspect of the process besides maybe changing my name and going by different pronouns, which I imagine I would, on the pronoun thing, I'd probably change my mind about that if I ever started presenting as a woman like full time. But I, I like my name, and that's something I should ask about actually, is why people change their name. Because I understand sort of like a visceral dislike of one's name. Uh, but both of my parents are dead, and my name I know was... My first name was my mom's favorite name, and my middle name was a family member who, or actually a friend of my parents, who died in a motorcycle crash right before I was born. Uh, and his story has always kind of like stuck in my brain uh, and informed a lot of my 
I don't know, thoughts and my, my approach to living, namely to not get into a motorcycle crash. So I don't want to get, I don't want to erase my name. I like my name. Oh boy, I'm getting into a bunch of different topics here. Oof. I gotta start keeping track of this stuff, don't I? Anyway, it's not that I have any issues with transitioning. Transition is different for everybody, this much I know. And the degree to which one decides to change with transition is entirely of your own volition, this I also know. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't think that there should be a one-size-fits-all approach or narrative. Uh, I'm glad that it is so subjective. It frustrates me on a personal level, but I think on a larger scale, I think it's great that we can have this aspect of identity that is so fluid. What's more got me hung up is the why, I think. Why is it that I, as a person, should have been born as I was, grew up the way that I did, living with depression and anxiety and all of these other issues, and then suddenly realize one day that the solution to all of these problems that I have with myself was to wear different clothes and to take hormones. And why is it that when you take estrogen or testosterone that it it changes your body and it changes your mind in these sometimes subtle, sometimes not subtle ways? I mean, biologically, I 100% understand why. I'm asking more from a philosophical perspective. Like, how does that make sense? What does that say about us? That you can be born as a person who is fluid, but you're also born with some kind of gender identity to which you are aligned. And a disalignment from that in your life causes you stress. It all implies a lack of control over one's existence, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. It's just sort of fascinating. Why is it that being referred to as she, as opposed to he, should make me happier? Why is it that a colorful dress over a pair of pants and a video game t-shirt should make me happier? Why is it that shaving my back and my beard and painting my face should make me happier. These are things which are arbitrary. I think a lot of the, the, the debate around what transgender is focuses on the purely biological, but to my mind, very little of it is biological. It seems almost exclusively sociological and psychological. So much of it is hinging on the weight we put on language and the images that we present and associate with maybe primal images that appeal to this gender identity that exists within us from the beginning. And maybe it doesn't exist from the beginning. I don't know. I'm just sort of trying to work out my thoughts here. It's also worth pointing out that I have not done a ton of reading on the subject of like the philosophy of gender. I'm working on that. And that's something that's going to be a major talking point of this podcast going forward. Um, I 
will be receiving in the mail um, Whipping Girl in the next couple of days. And I'd actually tracked down a couple of other books that I was going to check out from the library. But they were both mysteriously gone. Checked out. (laughs) They were mysteriously being used for their exact purpose by other people, which I'm not used to. As a, a film student, I'm very used to no one ever, ever, ever checking out any of the books there at all. So to go and have two books on my list and for both of them to be checked out was pretty surprising, especially since one of them there was multiple copies of, but the only one in English was gone, and that was uh, Second Gender by a French woman whose name I can't remember. I'm so sorry. I'm sure I'll have it later on. Uh, So I'm going to do more reading, but I wanted to try not to do so much in these first few episodes, just to kind of get like a neutral test case for where my thoughts are right now, and then see how they change and how they stay the same over time as I do more research. Because what really fascinates me more than anything is the the weird sort of complexities of gender and like why it seems to operate the way it does. And I guess this gets into the thing that's sort of been maybe the driving emotional engine behind this process for me. Because uh, there is the realization that I'm trans and the emotional roller coaster that followed. And that was its own thing. And I started to address it. I think I mentioned in the first episode that hair is a big dysphoric trigger for me, but it's one that I decided some years ago that it was a battle I could not hope to win. So I gave up and I just sort of accepted that I'm a hairy person, whatever. Well, in having this realization about myself, I started to address it. And the first thing that I could think to do was shave my hair. And so I started with my beard and then my arms, and then my chest, and my legs, and I bought like a back shaver, got my back, and let me just say, shaving my back, first time ever, an incredible experience. Like, I felt so good about myself, and that's so bizarre. Like, it's perfectly natural. Why does it make me feel good to not have hair on my back? It's so weird. And as I started to shave myself and turned that into a regular routine, which I've maintained since then, I started noticing my body more. I realized that for the last 10 years, maybe, I kind of just not acknowledged my physical appearance in a, in a literal way. I would kind of think of my being overweight in abstract terms, like, yeah, I'm overweight, but I'm not as overweight as, you know, those people, which that's a great way to... nice and healthy way to think about yourself and your position in the world. But without like hair obfuscating my body with me having to touch my skin so much more, I was more in touch with my physical presence. And this process has been kind of like that on every level where it's like 10, 10 ish years ago, I closed a door. I decided there was nothing I could do about all of the things that I hated about myself. And instead of dealing with it, I 
just closed the door and turned my back to it. Now I've opened that door and I've stepped through it and everything is exactly as I left it. And this has been one of the most fascinating intellectual exercises of my adult life because it's like it's like I'm 18 again. It's so bizarre. There's just generally the back to being aware of my physical body and ad- addressing it, you know, thinking about my hair, my my the the hair on my head and feeling shame about that. Uh paying more attention to how I look uh around other people and obsessing over that. That's whatever, that's pretty normal. But there's also this emotional element that had been gone for a very long time. I used to be an incredibly emotional person, but I locked it down because it was too taxing. And I used to be very spiritual, not necessarily religious. I never really liked religion, but I felt very deeply about the universe. I don't know. I spent a lot of time trying to think of what was going on and why it was going on. I spent a lot of time formulating theories of the multiverse and how that alignment might work out. I don't know. When I wasn't theorizing about Lost, that's what I was doing. And that all just sort of stopped. I used to write from a perspective of like losing myself physically in my work. I would I would literally forget where I was and and just just push a narrative onto a computer. I haven't done that in forever. I wrote a book uh, in 2010, and that's basically the last thing I wrote. I I, I write occasionally. I, I still have books in my brain that I want to write, but I found it harder and harder to make myself do that work. And when I write like poetry and stuff, it's almost always when I know there's like a, an open mic nearby and I use that as a deadline for myself. In one of my film classes a few weeks ago, we watched a clip from uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer's Vampire, which is an old silent film that's about vampires. Um, in this particular clip, I can't pinpoint what it was, but I, I had what I can only describe as like an out-of-body experience where the the artistic weight of the film hit me in a very specific way. And from that summoned forth the image of another story. And for five minutes, I was just lost in the texture of a whole new story, which had just been born, I guess, at the moment of my tired brain colliding with this very old movie. And then once this class was over, like I couldn't think very well well, during this class, so I skipped my next one. I went to the library, sat down, and I wrote nine pages of a script that I'm really happy with. I have no idea how it's going to continue, but I saw this thing so clearly in my mind, and it just it just it just happened. And I really think that I wouldn't have had that experience if I hadn't opened that door, if I hadn't realized that I'm trans, if I hadn't been going through this exploration of this 
whole aspect of my life, like going through this room full of things that haven't been touched in 10 years. There's something about being transgender, the act of wrapping your mind around what that means, that opens you up to a kind of magical thinking. And I don't think that's necessarily true for everybody. It might be just me. But it feels like I am so attuned to a strict gender binary. And we can have a conversation about how legitimate or illegitimate that is. That to accept my position as someone who skirts in a middle zone between those two ends of the binary. It, it, it has required me to soften the ontological barriers of the world that I perceive. That's a b- lot of big words, and I apologize. I'm a pretentious asshole. It, it's basically like... I, and this has been more complicated by the fact that I don't feel an immediate affinity towards like swinging all the way to the other end. Uh, I don't necessarily feel like I want to become a woman. Uh, there are aspects of my present identity that I'm perfectly fine with, but I want to be more expressive. And I think probably I might, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm probably uh, non-binary or just gender non-conforming. I don't know. I'm, that aspect of it is still a little bit too far down the road for me to really think about right now. So I'm just trying to live in the non-cis uh, sort of reality. But because I'm very acutely aware of, like, I don't necessarily feel a hatred of the masculine identifier or of my name or various other things, the prospect of transition is a little bit muddier. Because I don't think... For me, the goal is to change into a woman and then assimilate and pass and then become that person. I think that's a fine goal for somebody to have, but the uh, I keep thinking about it and it, it doesn't feel right to me. I feel like I have opened a book that tells me so much about the world and about myself and it would be a disservice to the knowledge contained in that book to return, essentially, to the way things were. Because isn't that isn't that what like tra- transitioning and passing kind of is to reach a normal equilibrium that is at a state of gender with which you feel more comfortable? And again, that's fine. I don't. That's not a bad thing. I'm trying to process my own personal experience here. I'm sorry I've thrown that caveat out so many times. It's just conditioning at this point. For me, I don't think the gender binary works. And I don't think that I personally can benefit from stepping into the shoes of a woman named and pretending that that is who I am And maybe that's what I'll do anyway, and it'll be perfectly fine. But maybe that version of myself will be just as unhappy. Maybe there will be days when she wants to be more like I am now. And I don't want to close myself off to that possibility. And I feel like that's that's an inevitable conclusion. I, as a person, 
am very mobile in my personality. Uh, I'm always sort of jumping to new philosophies and obsessions. And a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that I have ADHD and maybe that'll calm down once that's treated. But in this moment, I like the idea of having a more feminine body in general. I find that very appealing. But I like the the idea of being able to be like a tomboy. That sounds great. And I like the idea of being able to dress like super duper femme. That sounds fun too. And I also like the idea of just dressing as a dude again sometimes. And it's not just about like the clothes that I wear. It's it's all of this really comes down to like having to come to terms with the real identity, maybe that that firstborn gender identity, which has caused me so much issues, so many issues, which I guess that's not the the cause of the issues. Society is the cause. But it feels like the core is looking at that and finding peace in an unconventional truth and allowing myself to live in a way that feels right. Which really, just by the words that I just said, that's just the mission statement of being transgender anyway, so maybe I'm not off track at all. And hey, what the fuck does that sound like? Trusting your gut. Good lord. (laughs) I got into a bit of a Twitter spat. When I say a bit, it's microscopic. Lately, I've been following a lot of trans people, especially trans women game developers, just for a sense of normalcy. Somebody commented on something that you know, uh, trans is a bad thing. It doesn't matter. What matters is I posted a response to that that was just sort of like, well, here's my experience. My experience has been relatively positive so far. And this person replied with um, kind of a dumb, like, if you're looking to cure depression by being transgender or transitioning, you're barking up the wrong tree. And it will only cause you more misery, and I've seen it countless times. And like transitioning is a last resort for people with severe gender dysphoria, and even then it's not ideal, and all of this other stuff. And my final response is like, if you're trying to tell me that it's going to be hard, wow, thanks, I've never heard that before. And if you're trying to tell a trans person how to be trans, then fuck off basically but all of that said i've been thinking about those words a lot and they're not like i'm not like obsessing over them like oh gosh what if he's right he's not it's dumb but that thought process is still fascinating to me and sort of like everybody has an opinion everybody thinks they know exactly what's going on with other people and ultimately we're all a little bit right and a little bit wrong I guess it has me thinking, am I trying to cure my depression with transgender? Like, is that is that what's going on? Is it an identity that I'm trying on in the hopes that it will solve my personality deficiencies? I mean, that might not be entirely off the mark. I did the same thing with being gay. I did the same thing with being asexual. But 
the difference here is that I'm doing the work and I feel better. And if the cause of my depression is the fact that there is an entire aspect of my humanity which I have not acknowledged, then the solution is to fucking acknowledge it. So what if that's what I'm trying to do? If that's the answer to the question, then it's correct. It doesn't matter if it's <laughs> doesn't seem like a good reason. All the reasons are good. Trust your gut. God damn it. <laughs> Everybody's process is different. All right, well, this has been the Trans Questioning Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad I got to actually get to some of the meat of what I'm wanting to do on this podcast. Hopefully by the next episode I will have done some more reading and will have more ideas to chew on. I hope you all have a pleasant week, and I hope that this show brought you some clarity, and I will see you again in the near future. Thanks as always for listening, and keep questioning. Hello and thank you for listening to this podcast. The song that you heard at the beginning and the end of this episode is the Me Channel theme jazz cover featuring Dave Nekrutman and Chris Allison by Insane in the Rain Music. You should check out his stuff. He does a lot of jazz covers of video game music and it is all incredible. My cover art is by the indelible Emily Bumgarner. You can also support me on Patreon if you like at patreon.com slash L-T-A-S. That stands for Let's Talk About Stuff, which is my YouTube channel where I do structured video essays. I have a video about Preacher vs. Iron Fist, I have a video about why Game of Thrones Season 7 sucks, and I even have a video about how much I hate my body. Oh. You can find me on Twitter at HMSNoFun, and that is all of the things I have to plug, so thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Next time.